Singles, the best music podcast on the internet. Uh, I am your host, Autumn, and I am joined as always by Rex. Hello there. Um, if you hear typing in the background, that's because I'm going to pitchfork.com as we speak. Um, oh, why, why are you doing this all? <laughs> well, so, you might remember from the last episode that we were to listen to um, two episode, or two albums, one by Aaliyah, one by Arca. I have not listened to one of them because I've had the depression real bad. Um, so instead, uh, I was thinking we would do just like, you know, maybe we've got about an hour and a half before I have to leave, but we could do like a little bit of time on um, a little bit of time on like best of 2020, what we're looking forward to in 2021. And then if we still need to fill time, I'm going to just find some terrible list on pitchfork.com to pull up and we can yell about it. So the, so the problem is pitchfork's in that like horrible middle space between like actively trash and I want to disregard every opinion and the like serious, serious criticism I take seriously and want to integrate into my own thoughts. It's in that yes. weird middle ground where I like, I don't want to agree with anything they say, but I will agree with about 30% of their opinions. Yes. Which is yes, very interesting. This is exactly, this is why the Pitchfork uh, oh. list is good. Uh, I'm going to poke around. I've got like, they've got their 200 best albums of the 2010s. Oh, I've also found the 100 best albums of the 2010s ranked by Rolling Stone. So that's another choice. Oh, but. I mean, okay. So I know I've definitely looked at that list and got very angry at it. So... <laughs> Um, but I guess, you know, just to, before we get to that, I'm just going to ask the question, what, and I think we're both going to listen to a bunch more music in the next, like, two weeks. Um, yeah, I, li- I literally put out the screenshot of the, the playlist mm-hmm. that I've got going, which is, here's the stuff I've got ranked. It comes to 20 hours of music. Here's the stuff I plan to listen to in the next two weeks to try and integrate into that list. It's 32 hours of music. <laughs> But, okay, so since you put out that playlist, what do you think in so far? Like, what's your favorite album of 2020? So, yeah, you know me. I've got the fucking mm-hmm. fucking spreadsheet open. Uh-huh. Of course, naturally. Um, so it's really tight at the top. Really tight at the top. Um, I realized this year there's less stuff that I think is absolutely, like, special 10 out of 10 extraordinary. I did this comparison yeah. a couple of days ago. Uh, there's, a, there's a sort of tier that I've got going down to number seven or so this year. That I think I would probably have about 15 to 20 albums last year that would be in that tier. And like the ones at the top would be even higher than the ones I've currently got at the top. That makes sense. But I mean, hey, it's a pandemic year. What the fuck are you going to do about it? Like some albums are going to be better than others. Um, The two albums that I've got at the top are, and I haven't decided order yet, but I think these are the only two that could reasonably take that top position. That might change, Mm -hmm. but I'll talk about it. Um, Moses Sumney's Grey. Mm-hmm. Which we talked about. Which we and talked about. Songs by Adrian Lenker. Oh, is that the solo album from the Big Thief person? It is. Okay. I didn't. I forgot that. Uh, she, they, 
Um, uh, she, as far as I know. Okay. There's just like I don't actually know that there's how queer that music is, but it feels um, very queer all the time. Um, you know? I can tell you that there are many explicit um, women loving women love songs yes. on this album. There is yes. there is some good gay shit on this album. Yes, I knew there was at least that much, but I didn't know like it feels like like the first Big Thief song I heard was uh, had the line like. There's a woman inside of you, and then there's also a woman inside of me, or a man inside of me. I can't remember how the line goes, but like... Yeah, no, it's two... exactly, that's exactly the line, yes. <laughs> there's two genders inside of me, is what I remember. <laughs> there are two wolves, and both of them are by gender. <laughs> uh, yeah, um... The... It, her romantic life is very integrated into the band she married mm-hmm. the guy who is currently and still is currently what we're talking about who is still <laughs> the guitarist for big thief but meek who was a great great musician himself they okay. separated i think like three years ago now but like are still obviously super close friends right um she's dating women the there are love story love songs dedicated to women that she has broken up with on in the recent past on this album it's all fine and good. <laughs> to be honest, it's like one of those things where like all the in- a lot of the interesting stuff revolves around queerness, but is a queerness that is just as indifferent. It's that it's sort of like yeah. bisexuality that's indifferent to heterosexuality rather than like lesbianism that is antagonistic to heterosexuality. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. But yeah, um, so yeah, those are the two albums. Uh, like at some basic level songs is an album full of things that are the best written things i've heard all year and that's actually surprisingly easy given there isn't like much that's hit this top tier right but i could tell you what else is in the top tier and there's more interesting in the mm-hmm. stuff here but like nothing that is quite so like consistently excellent um grades there because it uh, like preempting a question that we got um it's the album that i listen to the most because i keep finding this stuff for me in it Um, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's like, I think some ways it's kind of corny now. (laughs) Like the longer I sit with it, it is kind of, yeah. Um, I, I feel, I feel, uh, um, I feel conflicted because if I, if you ask me what the best album I heard this year is, it's unquestionably gray, I think. Uh huh. But I have maybe not spent as much time with this album as I was expecting to. I like this album, and then I like this album a lot. And then after our uh, episode, I listened to it two or three more times, and then haven't really come back to it in the way that, like, I'm I'm still in a weird place. Part of this podcast, uh, part of the goal of this podcast is, like, I want to be listening to more music. This is a great way to, like, get myself, like, back into it, back into, like, the culture and stuff. And I'm still not there yet because of, like, mostly brain reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I haven't listened to as much music outside of the podcast as I wanted to this year. But, yeah, I I like Grey. When I love an album, I, like, s- just listen to it for months and months and months. And yep. Grey yep. is not that for me, even though I think it's probably, like, better than, like, I don't know. All my favorite albums this year are, like, Alfredo by Freddie Gibbs, which is just like pretty good rap music, and yeah. <laughs> um, 
uh, Pray for Paris by West Side Gun, which is really good rap music. And um, the 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 baby tapes that I heard, or the little baby tapes, they're <laughs> two different rappers, the baby and little baby. Um, Wait, hang on. Is this the, the I'm white, should I not say the baby? <laughs> Like, no, 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 no! Is... I just briefly confuse little baby and da baby, and I—that's all. Little baby <laughs> is the one that I like. Da baby, uh, I feel like his flow is pretty samey. Uh, yeah, like um, I—I'm sorry. I just have to like. Have you seen those like fake Reddit posts which are keep coming yes. back on the timeline? Yes, I'm white. I have. Should I have I seen it? those. Mm, mm, yeah, I'm German. Should I say it, das baby? <laughs> Um, in fairness to those uh fake posts um every time i'm listening to that um what's that podcast i've tried to quit listening to like eight times the new york times uh music podcast every time i'm listening to it and i hear all these white ass people say da baby i'm like I don't have things to verbalize. I just have like noises. The noises are communicative enough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, good. Good. Um, yeah, I, you know what? Actually, I'm scrolling through. I think Descendants of Cain is probably the album that sits at like the just the right um, yeah. uh-huh. intersection for me of like, that's just some pretty good rap songs and also like really special, like something I spent a lot of time with. I think probably Descendants of Cain is the best. I mean, that's what I said on the podcast, was that it was the best po- album I'd heard for the podcast, and I probably stand by it being the best album I've heard this year, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And and there is so much that, like, finding that triangulation between, like, stuff that you're obsessing about, stuff that speaks to you intellectually, and stuff that is just, like, they're bops, they're good tracks that I want to listen to mm-hmm. over and over again. Just, like, all the different competing ways you could engage with music and finding the thing that, like sits the, the best between all of them it's just really fucking hard and like i i'm sitting here with my last fm opening open and just be like yeah there's some stuff like the there is a tier of stuff that i've listened to more than uh, like i've 150 plus listens each on these seven albums and there's some really good stuff in here but like quite clearly there's tiers where like some of this stuff is the good but only really because it's digestible and some of the mm-hmm. stuff is good because it really i really internalized it and some of it's good because i needed it but it isn't something that i love and it was just sort of like a pathological listening rather than a a really like right engaged listening um yeah so i i've i've gone to my last fm because you said that and i've i've top artists last 365 days uh we've got phoebe bridgers uh Sufjan that's only be- Sufjan's only there because I listened to all of his Christmas songs literally every single one it's such a good Christmas album it's, it's such a good so two good. Christmas albums oh is there a <laughs> fuck there's a second god we've got, a, I've got so much more material to bring because the there's this silver year. and gold and there's songs for Christmas um, songs for Christmas I've, is the one I've been listening to I haven't listened to songs for uh, silver and gold I, thank I, you I like, so much I'm we're going to have a wonderful <laughs> family family uh soundtrack now songs for christmas is i think the better one but silver and gold's very good um frank ocean is here uh coheed and cambria is here but that doesn't count because i was in the (laughs) hospital 
I was in the hospital and I just listened to a bunch of Coheed and Cambria and then I didn't listen to it anymore because it was just like, oh, I'm just going to listen to this band while I'm in the hospital. <laughs> having a hospital, having a bad experiences band is really important. Having a band that you can like associate with shitty moments that you can discard later when you're not having a shitty moment. That's a good, yes. important function for a band to have. This is also, um, cause that was from my first hospital visit that I listened to a bunch of Coheed and Cambria. For my second hospital visit this year, I started Tales of Vesperia, and I said to Nora last night, I was like, you know what, I think I'm just never going to finish that game. I think that's just the game that I was playing in the hospital, and yeah. yep. now it's dead. <laughs> it's gone. Bye. Um, and then Gex is the fifth artist on my top of 2020. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm doing the same exercise. Number one is Moses Sumney, which I'm surprised how much I've actually listened to that album. Clearly, like, mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm recognizing more how much it's stuck with me. Two is Lady Gaga. Again, not the best album I heard this year, but it's definitely one of the most needed to have. And it's going to be on the list. It's oh, just not yeah. Going to be oh, yeah. That's like probably stuff. like my number 10. You know, if I made yeah. a top 10 list, it's like just in there. Yeah. Three is Charlie XCX, which how I'm feeling now is definitely going to be very high. Um, four is OPN, who is always high, and we will talk about <laughs> at some point, and I will attempt yeah. to like make you figure this one out, because, I don't know, I'm obsessed, <laughs> and sometimes I need to transmit my obsessions to other people. Five yes. is Thundercat. Um, again, this was a first yeah. half of the year album. Again, needed this in the early throes of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes you just need... Uh vibes and you've already listened to drunk a hundred times and so exactly. oh, there's a new one i'm just gonna listen to the new one even if i don't like it quite as much as i like the last one <laughs> exactly. and th- this is a weird thing though is in like how do you deal with that when like drunk was like the seventh best album of the year it came out because that was a ludicrous incredibly stuffed yeah. year um, 20 was that 2016 or 2017 because both of those of... years were stacked exactly it's it, i think 2017 but like this is the problem we all have is like um, I'm looking it up for my own benefit, but yeah, it's like, 2017. This, it, it's 2017. Yeah. Fe- felt like a 2017 album, but yeah, yeah, like what what the fuck are you meant to do with this? With with this, when like the comparison point is like, oh, I needed this album, and it definitely isn't as good as the other one, but it might end up with a higher rating just because this year was a fucking mess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fine, done. We move on with it. Yeah, you know what? Um, one of the reasons that I might not be like as invested in music in 2020 as I was in uh, in college is that also just like 2019 and 2020 have been good years for music. 2016 and 2017 were fucking Ludicrous. unreal. Ludicrous just... years. <laughs> what there, the fuck were I, those years? I remember um, 2016, there were five albums in my top 10 that I would probably put in like my top 25 of all time yeah <laughs> like yeah. like a coloring book has fallen now but the way that i felt coloring about coloring book in 2016 it was easily one of my favorite albums ever <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah I, again you know me i also have my albums of the decade list and there is this sort of purple patch from like mm-hmm. 20 it's sort of 2015 to 2017 maybe 2018 but mostly 2017 where it's just like all, it's really where all the good shit is. Really, yeah. all of it. It's slightly yeah. absurd. Um, I think those are places those are the years that um, streaming is changing the way that we make music, but it hasn't been 
codified in the same way to where it hasn't like, cannibalized itself yet like the yeah. music is accessible and freely available and part of the hashtag discourse but it hasn't turned into something that has been like transformed in form by streaming yeah properly. i i i put on i put on some spotify playlist um yesterday and i listened to like 10 songs from it and literally none of them i liked all of them and literally none of them i felt like jotting down who the artist was and going and listening to that album like yeah they were just yeah 10 good songs i couldn't tell you the names of any of them anymore you know yeah it, shit happens like that shit happens like that um so yeah that's that's how the list is shaping up i will absolutely both probably completely change up this list by the time it gets finalized at the end of the year there are i have got 35 albums right now and i've got 25 to listen to so that's mm-hmm. how that's how that's going um oh so you've got 35 but they're short albums you left yourself hmm. all the long ones it's possible (laughs) i mean okay to be fair the first album on the list is ag cook 7g which is a two and a half hour album so this this is a thing that has happened but uh okay to be clear there are this list isn't just the stuff i haven't listened to it's the stuff i want to re-listen to and revisit in order to like more accurately rank because i'm not confident where i've ranked them yeah. Or I've heard other people talk about them in the way that makes me think I've missed something, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But but I mean, like, this this is the vibe. It's in, like, I have some, I have, like, half of it ranked. I've got half of it that I need to, like, listen to, and it will completely change how the list looks. But it, there's some great shit at the top here. It's just not quite as much and not quite as exceptional as it was a couple of years ago. That's fine. Yeah. Um... Do we want to briefly touch on, like, what the worst album you heard this year was? Oh, God. <sighs> I feel like Car Seat Headrest is, like, the immediate answer. I They were playing a Car Seat Headrest song um, at work today, and I was just like, man. Man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Car Seat Headrest more was, like, it, it was, it, like, it's a crime for, for an album that you think is going to be interesting to be boring. But, mm-hmm. like, I can't say it was quite as hateful as... I don't know. I avoided most of the stuff that I would have found most actively hateful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is that, like, I'm pretty good at self-selecting music. Um, Like, I know what I'm going to like. I know what I'm not going to like. And with music specifically, if you hear two songs and you don't like it, unless you're covering it for a podcast, you just stop, you know? Yeah. Yeah, You just don't need to listen to it. This is the great realization that we all come to at some point. We just, Um, you just don't need to listen. Um, I am going to try and find... I don't know where this screenshot is. Is it on my PC? Is it on my phone? I'm going to take a moment because it was... a. I had this sort of like stop in your tracks moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we go. I will send you this screenshot. Which is... You know how the, the, the list trawling works at the end of the year? And sometimes you come up to things like this and you go, hmm. Uh-oh. I'm going to click this. I'm, I'm worried. Um... So here's the thing, is that uh, South Side by Sam Hunt is really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you made me listen to this album just for like, I, not in the sort of like made me, but like. I didn't you defended, force you to, no, but you I did talk about how my... good this album is so much that other people did listen to it. Yeah, and we were genuinely worse off for it. Um <laughs> 
this might be the only album that was like no thank you I would not like this in my life anymore (laughs) and the thing that's happened here is the the thing that has happened here the screenshot that I've shared to to Autumn is one of the random lists that I trawled through ranked Grey one of my favourite albums of the year is number 40 on that list and Sam Hunt's Southside (laughs) is number 41 and like (laughs) different people have different lists but mm, I yeah. I assume this has to be like this publication put out a list and like everybody at the publication like voted on something. Yeah, this and is one of those vote. Out. Yeah, this is one person's number two and another person's number two both end at number forty on the list because no one else thought they were any good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, or that's like everybody vote. put it at like fifteen, and so it got some votes, but like the couple of yeah. <laughs> The thing is that Southside by Sam Hunt is a really good album. It is helped tremendously by uh, Body Like a Backroad inexplicably being on it, even though that song came out three years ago. He just hasn't put out an album since then. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I I, I think the song 2016 is really good. Uh, and then he follows it up with just like a pop banger that I, I can't remember which one follows it up. But it's good. Mm. Hey, um, have you heard the album <laughs> Songs by Adrian Lenker? <laughs> no, no, I'm too busy listening to Sam Hunt because I like <laughs> pop music. I like, <laughs> I like joy. I like guys who have a thing about brunettes. <laughs> That's what I like. <laughs> well, this is well, well, this has been hot singles. We've had a great run. It's great knowing you. <laughs> You know that you know that I'm just gonna outro the podcast now with body like a back road. Like I know, know this is a thing. You know, what I'm actually anticipating you're gonna do is you're gonna search until you find a trap remix of body like a back road. I mean, body like a back road is the trap remix of body like a back road. That's okay, the important thing about it. Uh, fine. Okay, the dubstep remix of the trap yeah. version of body like yeah. a back road. Yeah, I gotta find. I gotta. I'm gonna just open up YouTube. Um, yeah. Let's see Body Like find. a Back Road Remix. It, it, there's uh, an auto-suggestion. I'm clicking oh no. the first link. I'm also clicking it. Is this the Mr. Collie Park Remix? Yes, it is. Okay, we'll hit play at the same time. <laughs> three, two, one it for me. Okay, three, two, one, go. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, this is bad. The, oh, this is bad. It's not good. The screen check effects are also like a whole thing. <laughs> oh, I'm, this is this is not working. No, can we? So the the next one on the list was the Haroxis. Oh no! Did it do a thing? Was that Little John? There were definitely some. There are definitely Little John noises in this. I don't know if they're like actual Little John noises, but you know. Yeah. Uh, do we want to click on a different one here? <laughs> so the second one on the list is the Horoxus Extended Remix. Yep. Yep. Three, I, two, I will click that one. Three, two... Oh, wait. I'm going to click it. I'm going to pause it. There we go. Mm-hmm. Three, uh, two, one, go. Oh, no! Fast. No! <laughs> uh, do Nightcore body like a back road. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be clear, when I listen to actual body like a background, this is what I hear in my brain. 
<laughs> you hear, you hear body like a back road sped up 30% and uh, with four on the floor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spiritually, that's what body like a back road is to me. We got, we got um, some rices and faders. Yeah. We've got um, like a woodblock scent. <laughs> We got this some is really, really weird bad. compression effects. Oh, we got set. We got snares. Oh no, the beat's about to drop. It is. Oh no. This is making me very sad. Oh no. Autumn, can I pause, please? Yeah, let's pause. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, listeners, for what we just subjected you to. <laughs> we, we, honestly, we should be more sorry to each other. We subjected ourselves to the actual songs <laughs> in real time. So we have your answer for the worst album of 2020. The worst album of the, of the year for me is Southside by Sam Hunt. Not because it's particularly horrendous or awful or um like annoying, but because it's the the, the easiest fast track to like bad musical experiences I could have in my life right now. Yeah. Like, I I can curate the rest of my musical listening experiences, and then sometimes Orton will make a joke about Body Like a Backroad, and I'll be there again. I'll be there again, in the in that moment, <laughs> feeling it with every sinew of my, sinew of my, uh, musculature. <sighs> Christ. Ugh. Okay. I'm, I'm pulling up a list of albums that are presumably coming out next year, while I do that, um, what what are you hoping for in music next year, I guess? Oh, yeah, good fucking question. I'm hoping for... I'm hoping for live music. I would love for mm-hmm. some live music again. Um, yes, yes. The, the actual experience of listening to stuff that is loud and has, like, physical impact is important to me. I would like to go to a club again. <laughs> <laughs> all of these things are like somewhat important to me in my life um as for like actual like recorded music i don't really know because it's really clear that a lot of stuff got disrupted but we also don't know what really like well we're only going to find out in retrospect what got held back or like compromised or whatever it is taylor so, swift put out another album this week what yeah oh did you not see this I, somebody told me about it at work and i forgot already <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna have to she's gonna have to tour off of both of these albums i assume i don't know yeah. what do you do like what do you, do you still 2021 like the vaccine is out are people gonna start touring to support albums that came out in 2020 yeah absolutely like, i mean yes um but yeah this is like tried wife take two what do you what do you want me to say it's i'm not interested in this album i i haven't even seen i I'm just gonna go look at what the Taylor. So we, I assume there will not so be just a to Taylor be clear, Swift like, album next year. Uh, I you assume not, but just to be like clear, like you look at the album artwork and like, mm, uh, I'm trying to hmm. find it. Um, Evermore. This album. Oh, artwork. more Tradwife shit. Okay, it's this... it's just as bad, maybe even worse. And literally, there is a section on the Wikipedia page called Art Direction for this album. 
Following the lush, ghostly, woodland aesthetic of folklore, Evermore takes on upon a wintry theme, extending as a Yuletide sequel of the former's Cottage Core, with two no. references. No. Um, that like you... it's not even trying to be unsubtle about it. It's like earnestly in on like like cozy winter bullshit. Like, no, fuck off. I mean, that might trick me into liking it more than I liked the one that the last mm, one. But fair, I, okay. Like, I'm not gonna like it. It just might have a. It has a better chance of tricking me. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Um, I, I can I can say that like, hey, preview to the other podcast that I'm busy editing will come out sometime in the next couple of days. Um, I did with Claudia my what our K-pop roundup for the year for Stan Ontology been a really interesting really good year and the at the end of the year bts the biggest boy band in the world put out a new record with a new single and that single is called life goes on and i'm just gonna link it to you so you can see what it's like and it's the sort of like instagram ready version of a of a like pandemic year track Okay, yeah. And it's one of yeah. those, like, Even slow laid thumbnail, back... I can see this. Yeah, slow laid back R&B tracks, and you can just flick through it and see what it's like. sad very mournful and plaintive but also like we'll get through this because life goes on and we're just like yeah the first shot of the music video is one of the bts boys with a mask on yeah this is this is the energy this is the energy it's like yeah we're having we're having trouble but we're gonna get where we're going despite um and like this is fucking disingenuous as shit like this is not what our year has been like fuck off no yeah Um, yeah and so we have another track of the year that somehow feels a whole lot more authentic to the actual experience of trying to 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 like be sane and normal and have a have a have a normal one in a in the Mm -hmm. year that was 2020 but like this is the vibe i get is in like i even if there i can see how it could be seductive i don't think i'm going to get fooled by taylor swift pulling a cottagecore album on me i Mm -hmm. no 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 this is not this is not what we are Okay, this this shot of all the BTS boys playing video games together, pretty cute. Yeah. So, um, uh, this is slow, just indoctrination. I, I I just didn't care for the song that much, but I think... <laughs> I, I have liked other BTS songs, I just didn't care for that one very much. No, there's um, no need to, at all. I guess the thing that I want for music next year is that I... I don't want everybody... I feel like, other than Taylor Swift, not a lot of people have gone for the let's make an album about COVID thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just because, like, albums take time to make, and I'm really worried that next year we're going to be inundated with it. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I think next year is the year that every album is going to be about this. And I, I hope that, A... I'm wrong, and B, that it's not intolerable. <laughs> yeah. At, at some basic level, 
it's fine if albums deal with it and process it in different ways. And like, there are so many different ways in which music is responsive to what's the like zeitgeist or what pop culture is talking about or what literally every person on the planet is dealing with. Yes. Like, I don't need that to be packaged back to to me in like this, like wonderfully aesthetic way. Like it's not, not a thing I need. So I just sent you a list, uh, like a Wikipedia page. It's like albums coming out in 2021. And, like, the two things catching my eyes immediately is that Drake has an album coming out, apparently. Have you seen what it's titled? Certified Lover Boy. Fuck that. I hate him. Oh, I hate him. Throwback to original um, Hot Singles, where, you know... That's a really good episode. Everything that we said in that episode has only gotten more true. Yeah. We were we were probably very perceptive about how it was going to develop and everything, but yeah. Fuck um, that. so I'm not looking forward to the Drake album because Drake is gonna have Drake's gonna have a song about COVID. It's gonna be the last one on the album, and there's gonna be think pieces about it. Oh, um, no. and it's not gonna be very good, but it's going to be important, and so we're all gonna have to talk about it. And no one's no one's gonna like it. No one's going to like it. The other thing uh, that's catching my eye immediately is that Julian Baker um, has an album coming out. For people who don't know, Julian Baker is part of Boy Genius, um, which is a group that includes Phoebe Bridgers and Lucy Dacus. Um, Julian Baker tours with Phoebe Bridgers and Lucy Dacus a lot. Um, she is very similar to um, Phoebe Bridgers in that she just does like sad folksy indie rocky stuff but i find julian baker kind of torturous to listen to because she (laughs) is so sad it is (laughs) too fucking much and so i'm worried because i'm gonna listen to the new julian baker album because she's got two albums out two solo albums out plus the um the one with boy genius and it's like i can almost hear myself starting to like i feel like she got better on the second album and so i'm gonna listen to the new one but i know that the new one is gonna be really fucking sad about covid yeah and that's just gonna ugh. 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 Uh, yeah <laughs> so so given we're looking at the wikipedia page this is giving me th- th- god like throwbacks to like 2015 me he would do this but with video games and like oh what's the wikipedia page for video games in 2020 uh, in 2016 <laughs> got to, to be released um the the thing is that video games have much more set in stone release dates i feel yeah. like especially especially now um like people are going to announce an album that either is coming out today or people are going to announce an album that's coming out in two months but you don't need like that long of a lead up time anymore. Nope. You know, I mean, yeah, it's just some cool names on here. Like <laughs> I, I'm seeing names that are just amusing to consider in, in the world right now. Like Evanescence have got an album out in March. Weezer got <laughs> an album Fighters. out in May. <laughs> um, but yeah, like FK Twigs is going to come back. Um, oh, that's exciting. Uh, Ros- Rosalia's gonna have one. Schoolboy oh, Q's probably yeah. gonna have yeah. one. St. Vincent's gonna have one. Wade's Blood's got one. Travis Scott's got one. Apparently, has got a name and everything. Um, Kelly Kelly Clarkson has an album coming out, which uh, I don't know that I need a new Kelly Clarkson album, 
But Listen, God, I hope I get to see her on tour. Kelly Clarkson can still just sing with the best of them. And yeah. I, God, I want to see her on tour so bad. <laughs> um, I think you might actually need a new Kelly Clarkson album. I, I might need a new you. Kelly Clarkson album. It's been three years. Maybe yeah. we all need a Kelly Clarkson album. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot she has a Christmas album. Is this a Christmas uh, album? What is this? I mean, how would she not have a Christmas album? Excuse me. Have you seen her? Yeah, yeah. It's called Wrapped in Red. This is a Christmas yeah. album. It's from this decade. Uh, I don't remember it, but I'm sure it's great because she's Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> That's how it works. Um, um, it's lead else? single, Underneath the Tree, became an international top 40 Christmas hit song and was radio's most played new holiday song of 2013. Uh, Lana Del Rey has another uh, album coming out next year, and I can't think of anything I want less than more Lana Del Rey music. <laughs> I'm finally glad that all the like cool girls I know have like figured out the shtick and of like falling off her. The thing, the thing is, the thing about Lana Del Rey is, what, what's the one that I like? What's the one that I like? You like a is Lana it Del Rey Ultraviolence? <laughs> is it is it Ultraviolence? I don't even know oh. that I like a Lana Del Rey album. I like like four Lana Del Rey songs, and then if you hear five Lana Del Rey songs, you're like, wait, I've heard this one before. <laughs> I'll be honest. I liked video games. I haven't I like heard a Lana Del Rey song I like since video games. I like video games and I like Summertime Sadness. Those are both on the same album. Uh, and then it, I, I don't think I listened to a Lana Del Rey album since Born to Die un, uh, until Norman Rockwell came out. And then I was like, wait, this is just Born to Die, but acoustic now. This is garbage. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I've at, at least skimmed the albums and found absolutely nothing interesting in them. Um, fuck, I, I flicked the Wikipedia page of Born to Die, and one of the genres it lists it as is sadcore. <laughs> That's me. I'm sadcore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to click the Wikipedia page for sadcore and see what comes up. Um, uh, okay, too, too short to be actually interesting, but... yeah. Lana Del Rey is on the Wikipedia page for Sadcore. Might be the only artist named on this page. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Mm. I, yeah, my, my main thing is that I hope, I hope 2021 is not too much about this. Because I feel like there are two ways for it to go. Like, one, you can do songs that are sad about people there are three ways you can go there you can do songs that are sad about people dying you can do songs that are sad about being quarantined and feeling like you're losing your mind and you can do songs that are upbeat about how we're going forward into the future and i feel like i've already heard all of them even though i can't name a single song that's about COVID. no yeah exactly <laughs> you know like we've all had enough time to stew on those emotions com so comprehensively like if i want to go to to music for emotional processing. This is not the thing I need. So like, yes. no, thank you. We can do yeah. something else. <laughs> we, yeah. And there is um, enough pop culture or politics to do in music that isn't that. So Exactly. <sighs> um, we did get a bunch of questions since we, we asked did. Them. We did. I'm going to pull up the Twitter ones first, specifically because there's one that you can't see um, because it's from a private account. Um, so I will pull these up real quick. Um, okay. 
Um, so, uh, Nora, uh, do you know Nora? Uh, who's Nora? Uh, that's my wife. Fuck, you've got a wife? I've when got did that a wife. happen? <laughs> you tell me these uh, things, Liam. <laughs> Nora asks, one, how do you find new cool music? Which is, well, I, I'll read Nora's second question. Uh, because that one's just a joke, and then we'll really get into the first question. Um, what's that song that goes bum bum ba dum bum 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 ba dum dum? Do you know that one? Uh, twenty four karat magic. <laughs> I was thinking it was in the airplane over the sea, so it's probably one of those two. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. I, I hear Google's got really great voice recognition features right now. That's your best bet, I guess. <laughs> so how do you how do you find new cool music? So yeah, I this is it's a simultaneously a really trivial question and also a literally impossible question because yeah. I feel like there's a difference between being exposed to new things and also like being put in a position to make sense of new things and discover and change your taste. Which mm-hmm. feel like radically different things to me, um, because like yeah. you you can sit on Spotify and click through playlists, and none of that will inform you like where where all the new piece of music sit in your life. Um, so, actual like small scale bits and pieces that might just simply be very specific to me about how I found new stuff, and the and the like it's it's found ways to like sit in my brain and. In, in important ways it's this year specifically especially because i haven't got like live shows or in-person hangouts to rely on to like be exposed to friends tastes so one is newsletters and i can give two a shout out that are for my personal music taste I cannot guarantee they will be for everyone because they are specifically for a mix of electronic and experimental music and those are tone glow um run by a journalist called jonathan minsu kim and uh Bandcloud, uh, which I don't know the name of the guy who runs it because his Twitter handle is just Bandcloud, but it that is full Bandcamp electronic music and it's great and wonderful. Um, okay, and, and those are just two main lists for like new electronic and experimental music that like fill me with joy all the time because I know I'm going to discover stuff that is new about eighty percent of which I just will not like, and twenty percent of which has a chance of becoming a thing that shapes the new directions of discovery I go down. The other yeah. one is friends. And when I say friends, I mean like actual working musicians who I like work alongside and talk with and try and like make like, like I'm in enough Discord servers that are for like music production and promotion and events, stuff like that, that like we're constantly sharing our own stuff and talking about it in reference to the stuff we're listening to and liking. Um those communities bleed over between the like writing and the band campy like promotion stuff and the production and like critical like appraisal stuff. But like those are the sorts of communities you only get in it like in touch with once you have like a really like neat like targeted idea of who you're like the people you're in conversation with is. Um, and that's obviously not something I can recommend to everyone, which is like Mm-hmm. Start having what well, having made music for the last five years. Find a community of people <laughs> um, who make the same kind of music as you and have the same points of reference that you can build off. Um, but yeah, uh, 
beyond that, the actual stuff that's like practical is looking at labels and um, like <laughs> looking at labels and to for for better or worse, like critical appraisals of like coherence in genre, like finding ways of navigating music that aren't algorithmic and that are actually done with someone's selected taste in mind. Like mm-hmm. a, a journalist has sat down and thought about what unifies a certain collection of albums or a label A&R or label boss has sat down and thought like, ah, uh, who's, who's the stuff, what's the stuff we really like and how do we put it together and like tell a coherent story about all the music on our label. Um, but yeah, those are the sorts of things that I like always recommend. Again, this is also very specific to my music taste, which is like, in some ways incredibly easy to satisfy with a combination of like you read all the pitchfork stuff plus you do all this stuff of the electronic and experimental stuff and that like yeah. if you are into different mm-hmm. stuff you this might not be a good method but i can only really tell you what works for me so this is kind of the rub for me right which is that when i was in college i read pitchfork every day i read the fader i read um I can't even remember. There's some other indie website that I can't... Not that the site is indie. The site's pretty big. It's just that, like... It was covered indie music, and I cannot think of it, but they were fucking in love with Mac DeMarco. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, we um, all in, like, 2014. No! <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. I never liked Mac DeMarco. <laughs> uh, first albums were better, but, you know... There's like two songs I like. It goes Viceroy. <laughs> that's the that's the good songs. That's the good song. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, I was reading Fuck. news. Sorry, excuse uh, me. I I don't want to yeah. dwell on this. Yeah. Two, the good Mac DeMarco album was released in 2012. Christ. No. I no. I, I've turned to dust. Okay, anyway. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> I, w- I was listening to the NPR music podcast, and I was listening to the New York Times pop music podcast, and I was living in a dorm where a lot of people liked music. We'd all talk about music. We I, I basically listened to every rap album that hit the charts at all from that was released between 2014 and 2018. Mm-hmm. Like, I listened to... I listened to every single rap album that came out, you know? And I'm not that person anymore. Um, Because, like, I stopped living with those people, and so I wasn't reading all the publications so that I could have stuff to talk about. And I just became too communist and too faggoty to, like, um, uh, the fucking NPR music podcast anymore because they're white supremacist weirdos, and they don't know it, but they are. (laughs) They don't, they have no idea, but they are. The New York Times pop music podcast, I still get something out of it sometimes, but, um, it's really, like, it's a fucking New York Times podcast. Yeah. You know? With all, um, it's got the most New York Times as personalities on that New York Times podcast. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and I think sometimes I can hear what they have to say and filter it through my gay communist brain and like come out with something productive. But like I have to put a lot of work in to do that, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, 
But yeah, the, the the thing that I'm trying to get across is exactly what you were saying is that like uh the algorithm will not serve you. No. Um the algorithm is antithetical to enjoying music. Um the algorithm wants you to listen to music and not hold on to any of it because Spotify doesn't want artists to get famous. Spotify wants Spotify to be famous. Yeah. You know? Entirely. Entirely. Um it is why I've more or less quit using Spotify, um, but both because I think it is antithetical to enjoying music, and also, like, so many artists have spoken out about, like, if you listen to my album 24 hours a day for 10 years, maybe I could pay one month of rent. <laughs> maybe. 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 Um, so, um, I, I think, I think... Like, breaking free of Spotify is important and necessary, but also, like, the music economy of 2020 is such that, like, it is really hard to find music outside of the algorithm because very few people, like, the music journalism industry is just getting smaller and smaller. Um, You have to find people that you like to follow. And then also, for me, like, a, a big a big thing has just been like, none of these people are communists, no. <laughs> you know? No. And this, this is not a problem. If, if you want to, um, if you follow video game journalists, none of, very few of them are communists too, but like, uh, it's not a problem because video games aren't often about things in a way that like <laughs> music <sighs> is so, uh, Video games are always political. Music is intentionally political and knows what it's saying. And so you have to, like... You just have to, like, know what you're going for a lot of the time. Yeah. Just just to, like, drill down on that. Like, game, the games that a music press values and talks about are made in conditions... Are like, conditions of production that are just antithetical to doing any meaningful political work. Whereas yes. even the biggest musical albums are still in a position to like reflect intentional political choices in a way that yes. like like when some of the biggest albums of the year have like Kanye or Kendrick or D'Angelo or I'm trying to think who else has done like overtly political stuff. Lady Gaga even to some extent. Like the, yeah. anyone who has put out an album even when it's got a lot of money and like label back and behind it, it's still very much like playing a political game in a way that just like mainstream video games just never will. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked about trad cat Taylor Swift, and like, yeah, Taylor Swift is not making quote unquote political music, but like because it is the product of, it is presented as the product of one person. You know, it is obviously like a lot of people work on a Taylor Swift album. A lot of people put in work on that album. Yeah. But it is presented as her. And so you can start to form like the album has to represent how Taylor Swift sees the world or how she wants to tell you that she sees the world. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, the, the thing that has been a struggle for me is um, not being in as much of like, music listening cultures as i used to be and not following music press and it's the reason that i started this podcast because like regs is like my friend who listens to the most music regs and marcy um are my friends who listen to the most music like if i just spend more time with them 
I'll get back into it. And it's worked to some extent. Um, for me, when I'm listening to more music, mostly what it means is that I listened to a lot of Little Wayne this year, you know, yeah, um, yeah. which I have been listening to since 2011, but it's fine because I just love Little Wayne. Please, God, don't send him to prison. Please. Oh, I know oh, he sucks. Christ. I know he's awful. I don't want him to go to prison. I'll literally cry. <laughs> don't do that to Autumn, Mr. Prosecutor. Yeah. Yeah, um, and you're entirely right. It's just making me also miss the music journalism that got that and, like, engaged with stuff mm-hmm. on that level. Like, the, the, yeah. if I can just do the, like, most ridiculous um, self-aggrandizing bullshit. Um, one of my favorite K-pop journalists saw that I did a K-pop podcast and then also saw I was making jokes about music journalism on Twitter.com and followed me and we had a little chat in the DMs. It was kind of fun. He used yeah. to write for a site called Tiny Mixtapes. Tiny Mixtapes is one of the few music journalism. I remember Tiny Mixtapes. Yeah, it's sad. So sad they're on hiatus. They are are like, they might just be dead for all we know. They like wrapped up at the end of 2019 and just like probably weren't a profitable outlet. So just died a painful, sad death. But like they were Mm. one of the few outlets that like knew how to like interrogate music, taking it seriously as a media object in the way that like Games criticism does not. Games criticism treats them as consumer objects, and that's just a horrible way yeah. to talk about uh, art and media. Um, and in so doing, like sometimes it was really self-aggrandizing and kind of bullshit. Like I have vivid memories of like, wh- wait, hang on, why are they referencing Laruelle, like French twentieth-century theorist and photographer, like in the middle of this mixtape review, and like. They get extremely up their own asses about it. It's a sort of like similarly reactionary counterbalance to like 4chan culture, um, like different kind of orthodoxy intellectualism about it is like a really like intense and arsehole that like intellectualism of a different kind of a, like a mm-hmm. supposedly more academic and more like subtle and careful kind, but that is still just as exclusionary kind of bullshit. And that, like, mm-hmm. at some level, I think it, like, it never, it very rarely got to the point where I think the best criticism got to, where it uses theoretical tools to situate work in the actual world, both in terms of, like, effect, sorry, like, the, the affective experiences it produces in people, as well as the, like, conditions of production stuff, like, who's producing it, why they're producing it, what are the con- like constraints and impetuses that make them produce it, how does it fit into the, like, the wi- wider cultural production context that like shapes it, and like, this is all we talked about with the Frank Ocean stuff, with the, like, right. the, like the, the sort of, like, reception within queer culture, the reception within the industry, how, like, he has to produce certain kinds of music in order to be relevant, and all this stuff. And that, like, certain theoretical tools are really useful to be able to do that. Um... And that, like, this was the closest that I think it ever got to being that, like, holy grail of, like, taste that I really appreciated, even if I didn't always agree with it, but an approach to criticism that I thought actually, like, had some legs in terms of what could it say to the Marxist? What could it say to the person who is, like, (laughs) I care about taste, but I also care about, like, understanding something, critiquing it in relation to culture, where culture is like the collective production that we go through as a like a as a social body, not simply the like exclusive output of geniuses. And that right. and that like 
the ability to do that sort of lateral thinking, that sort of like culture-wide thinking, that sort of like structural thinking, was just something that is just entirely absent from most criticism. And I mm-hmm. wish still had like a place to live. And I still don't know where yeah. that is. And again, like, hey, we fucking do a podcast trying to do some of that, but like, you know, it's hard. I mean, I mean, yeah, the 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 reality of you know the stage of capitalism that we are in is that um, monopolies are trying to consolidate everything down, and so like, Pitchfork is kind of like the only music website left standing in some way because like algorithms just strangled to death like the the days of like music blogs where you would just follow a couple people like you know my um some of my favorite critics like um natalie weiner uh used to do a lot of freelance uh stuff about music there's nowhere to freelance for anymore other than pitchfork and billboard uh and so she's a sports journalist now hanif abdurraqib uh has a fucking incredible collection of essays that's sitting on my shelf all about music. He doesn't write about, like, the new pop music anymore because there's no money in it. He writes, like, nonfiction books about, like, moments in in, in the past, in the 90s and in the 40s. And he writes poetry because there's more money in poetry than freelance writing about music. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, this, this because not Because everyone be, just goes yeah. to Spotify, and there's no, there's nothing left, there's nothing you can do anymore. Yeah, <laughs> no, money. and not even to be like condescending to poetry or historical analysis of black music. Like, I fucking love uh, no. uh, Hanif's writing, but like, I would, I, th- I think it's necessary and like deeply like disturbing that there's no capacity to do like actual like materialist cultural criticism about like present day popular culture like it's just fucking gaping like open sore wound of a hole like yeah uh, yeah they, I mean, they, they can't kill us until they kill us is one of the best books i've ever read it is it's got essays about like michael brown being killed in ferguson and also fleetwood max rumors which uh you know this is just random this is just me being an asshole um I've been on Fleetwood Mac for years. All you TikTok kids are fucking posers, and I see you. I see you all. (laughs) I've been here. I've been tweeting about fucking rumors since 2017 or some shit. (laughs) God damn it. I mean, we knew this is true, but also, like, the machine does not care. The machine does not care. Um, um, what a dog face, a good whatever his name is, going to get an SUV from the CEO of Ocean Spray, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Should I move on to the next question? Yeah, let's move on to the next question. Uh, Nia asked me, this is the one from the private account that you can't see. Uh, Nia asks, uh, what's your favorite Nico Case album? Rex, what's your favorite Nico Case album? <laughs> oh, Christ. So this is where I'd like out myself as a, I haven't listened to country music. It's just—it's not, not a thing I've done. It's fine. Um, so there are, I think, three uh, contenders here uh, for me. It's "Furnace Room Lullaby," which is just one of the best country albums ever. There is "Fox Confessor Brings the Blood" or "Fox Fox Confessor Brings the Flood." Sorry, um, which is very different. Uh, which is kind of like an experimental country album. If I was gonna give you one Nico Case album, it would be Fox Confessor for sure. Cool. Um, and it, Middle Cyclone, um, 
which Middle Cyclone is just dripping with, like, cryptic queerness. Like, you know how... Like, you know how um, sometimes older queer people are definitely queer, but they'll never actually, like, like say in what direction they're queer. Yeah. Like, you know what uh-huh. I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yeah, like, it's, it's that. It's, like... Like, on Middle Cyclone and on the album after it, um, Nico sings, like, big lines about, like, I'm a man, but, like, she still goes by Nico and she, her. So, like, shrug? I don't know. Um, lots of songs about, like, breakups and vengeance and, like, it always just feels vaguely queer. Middle Cyclone is the one that lives in my heart, uh, for sure. That is, like, my favorite. I think Fox Confessor... If I had heard Fox Confessor before Middle Cyclone, that would be my favorite. That's the only difference, is that I've spent spent more time with Middle Cyclone, but Fox Confessor is really fucking good. Furnace Room Lullaby is really fucking good. So, yeah. That's the Nico Case Minute. Um... We have email questions. We do. And you sent us the screenshots. So should I start? I'm going to open up the email again and you read one of those. I'm going to make sure I didn't get any more while we were talking. Um, So from Joao. um, Hello, Autumn and Regs. Sticking in a couple questions before going back to work. One, the weirdest sample you've ever seen being used in a rap song. Um, it's definitely something that MF Doom has done, right? <laughs> I've been thinking about this. So, like, rap song narrows it down because there's all sorts of, like, weird experimental shit that, like, is, to, to borrow the classical term, would be, like, music concrete. It would be, like, using found sound or non-musical objects to make stuff. And that's just, like, eh, it's sampling, I guess, maybe. It's not the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. When you narrow it down to rap, like... I realize that there is almost certainly some crazy bullshit out there, but the like the stuff that sticks in the memory is inventive inventive use rather than like weird. If that makes sense, like, yeah. So yeah, the, the the one that kept coming back to me is an MF Doom thing, which is the sort of lineage of stuff around the track "Raid" by on Mad Villainy. Um, yeah, this is a track that completely hands on the table. I first heard in the, I think, fight scene from the Boondocks, where <laughs> Huey, um, I don't even know what the context was. It's been literally a decade since I last watched any of that show. But all I remember was, I think, Huey in a kung fu outfit, maybe with an AK, fighting through a bunch of maybe security guards. I don't know. Fucking fight me. I don't, <laughs> don't remember. What I do remember was just like, what the fuck is this track? Um, and I googled it and found out what Mad Villainy was. So that was my introduction to Mad Villainy. Um, so this is a track that starts off with a sample of the Bill Evans track, Nardis, which is one of my favorite pieces of jazz music ever. Bill Evans, one of my favorite mm-hmm. jazz musicians ever. Um, that track has then been reinterpreted as Untitled 05 on the Kendrick Untitled Unmastered. Oh, um, right. And there is a very iconic video of um, Robert Glasper, Terrace Martin, and Thundercat playing a jam that transitions between Nardis and Untitled at a jazz club mm-hmm. in LA. Um, you can just go find that YouTube video and it's stunning and great. And like three iconic, great LA, modern LA giants of jazz music. 
and the like great fusion scene that has emerged in LA is just wonderful. Um, so yeah, Nardis through to um, both Raid and Untitled Five. And then the actual beat on that track is it like shout to like Joel handing me a bunch of Latin jazz. Let me hand a tiny little slice of it back to you, which is the main sample of this track is a bossa track called um, America Latina by Osmar Milito, um, which is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this sort of like, I'll just link it to you because you will recognize the, the you will recognize what Madlib did to this track immediately. Um, okay. But the original is just as gorgeous. Um Oh, I might have seen this. You might have sent this to me. Yep. Oh, nice. Yep. Yep. You sent this to me before and it blew my fucking mind last time too. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, this clearly isn't the most like destructive use of a sample. This clearly isn't the most like, like experimental you could get. Like, yeah, I know what people can do when you take a sample from somewhere and turn it, turn it into a kick drum that also turns into a bass line that also turns into whatever. Like something can right. blow up in all sorts of chaotic ways. Um... But, like, this is one that just sticks as, like, capturing an energy and a moment that will sit with me forever, just in terms of a combination of the Bill Evans into this yeah. boss track. It's just, yeah, so good. It's so good. Um, for me, it is also an MF Doom thing, and it is more, um, I don't know that it's, like, the craziest sample I've ever heard on a MF Doom track, but um, Beef Rap uh, samples the... Battle theme from Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, which is a, uh, like, 80s Spider-Man cartoon. And for me, it's just that, like, uh, hearing that song and then just being like, oh, shit, that's the Spider-Man. And, like, because I, I, Mad Villainy was the first uh, Doom album that I heard, and I liked Doom a lot. But uh, mm, Food is, like, the one that, like, made me kind of, like kind of made doom like oh like this is the guy that i'm gonna spend the next 10 years obsessed with yeah Uh um and it's specifically down to the moment of hearing beef rap and hearing the song that i remembered from being a kid um that like i don't know spider-man and his amazing friends is a pretty bad cartoon (laughs) but like if it's that that beat does kind of go on beef rap (laughs) Oh, bad things uh, can have incredible theme songs. Can I just play share one of my all-time favorite anime openings that is like for a crap anime, but that I want people to know about? Yes, please um, do. You can't post your boom well. I'm not posting. <laughs> I'm not posting that. Um, I know so little about anime that I don't even know what that's the opening for. Uh, Code Geass. I'm gonna send you the Code Geass opening after this. Cool. Um, have I a just listen to play on this. Yeah. Oh, this ro- this goes, this goes. I want this to get sampled on something, or at least these drums. I mean, I know these aren't like the most out of the world drums, but like oh, this is. I've literally done a disco oh, edit of this for naked? DJing. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! This is amazing. <laughs> Listeners, this is the OP uh, for MD Geist. It's called Violence of the Flame. Do I have that right? Yeah, you do. Oh. Uh, so a lot of anime will spend a lot of money on the OP and not animate the rest of the show very much. This does not seem to have spent much money on the OP. 
<laughs> yeah, no, this is just clips from the show. Uh, oh, these people are getting gored. These people are getting fucked up. Oh, that's racist. Yeah. What I just saw. Just to be clear, um, like, do you know who the artist is? Can you tell from the scene? No. No. Um, it is one Hironobu Kageyama. Oh, shit. This is one of the very, very early Kageyama hosties. Um, oh, shit. Um, it's just glorious. <sighs> and then in the one minute 30, you get the, the bonkers guitar solo. Oh, my God. I just got the guitar solo. <laughs> the most hair metal I love it but also it's got like funk to it it's got drive yeah oh yeah there's like a little bass line I can hear yeah I have this it's got volume funk, pretty like, low so this that is I can literally hear the you thing but I like... heard this and was like oh this is ludicrous and hair metally as fuck but also it's got a funk bass line and like slightly disco-y drums if I put a cool disco if I slow it down by like 10% put disco beat underneath it I can DJ this and I have which is fun um, you know what, um, this is the incredible thing about, like, anime, is that, like, every session musician in Japan in the 80s only knew how to play, like, slap bass just funky as hell. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, session musicians just went hard as fuck all the time. <laughs> it's better like that. 100%. Yeah. Right. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm found the, the MP3, and I will shut up, maybe... <laughs> I feel like nobody uses session musicians anymore. Uh, I feel like that is a dead so industry. Knowing a few working musicians, it's sort of a thing, but like, mm -hmm. it's uh, <laughs> it still is a thing that people do. It is a workable career for a small number of very thick, like talented professional musicians and very accomplished professional musicians. But like, okay, yeah, it's it's not a healthy life. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, yeah. Shvau has more questions. <laughs> yes! Uh, number two, do you like or have a habit of listening to musicals? Um, no. To, on both counts. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I'm not opposed to musicals as a form, but it's definitely not... I, I So I went through a lengthy phase where... Uh, I believed I was a man. Horrible error on everyone's account. <laughs> I thought about finishing the sentence, but it was funnier to just leave it there. Uh, and so there was a lot of stuff like musicals that I was just like, well, I'm a straight, I'm a straight guy, and obviously I, as a straight guy, cannot enjoy this musical, so I don't. Um, you know, just that sort of thing. Uh, and then I've just never really found an in. Mark was uh, playing me some songs from Hades Town the other day, and I was like, "Oh, this is really good." I don't know that I'm ever gonna listen to it unless, like, uh, we might have Mark on the podcast to talk about Hades Town, or we might have uh, them on to talk about um, Sixty Nine Love Songs. I need to revisit that with them. Yeah, but, um... I, I'm excited about both or either of those ideas. <laughs> Maybe yes, I, I don't yes. know. We've had that chat. I lean Sixty Nine Love Songs because that's a, a project that really intrigues me. But yes, yeah. Um. um... So yeah. yeah, I have an answer to this, which is I spent enough of my life thinking I was a gay man um, mm -hmm. to, to like be enculturated into like, well, I guess I have to like musicals now. The answer is you don't. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a racket, yeah. I swear. Um, <laughs> at the same time, uh, what actually happened was 
I was in and around enough of them to realize that something about musical, like the performative nature of musicals just gets under my skin now. And I think that's an autism thing. I think it's a like a theatrical, inauthentic, but conversational performance thing just like reads completely weird to me. Like I love theater. I love theater so much, but like I am so much more comfortable watching much more naturalistic theater because like more heightened stuff and that I think musicals fall under to some degree just creeps me out. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a weird, it's a weird way of humans appearing to me that just like, I cannot deal with anymore. But this is coming from a place where like I performed in a bunch of them. Um, I try to remember what the character's name is and I'm going to look it up. Um, uh, Type, type, type. Uh, (laughs) Vamp, vamp, vamp. Roles. There we go. Uh, is this while, the while one? we do this? I'm gonna send you a. You you go. Yeah. Um. I think yeah. I think I played the part of Dick Deadeye in a performance of HMS Pinafore, which is a Gilbert Sullivan Sullivan musical. Um, mm. Gilbert Gilbert Sullivan. For anyone who doesn't know, being a very very famous double act of um like light opera. Um, written in the like Victorian era in Britain became like some of the iconic and foundational bits of musical theatre um, and like the HMS Pinafore has is this the one that has I Am the Very Model of a Modern Major General in it as among many of its songs and I remember I just think of that as a Hamilton thing yeah <laughs> fair enough honestly but yeah I I remember like having little bits and pieces to perform in that and being like this is camp and fun but i cannot do this with my life this is not a thing that i can sustain um so yeah i have had that process and i've gone through it and um i'm done with it i will leave it there um so i'm trying to keep an eye on the time um because i'm getting down to the wire but it's not uh, the end of the world. Um, but we've got two more questions, and I do want to read to you a little bit from this uh, pitchfork list. Um, um, so yeah, what... just to, to wrap up Joel's list, we've we've mentioned I think our yes. albums and songs we've listened to the most. Uh, so yeah, we had that earlier. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, Camille asks, "What are your favorite classic pieces? Don't has doesn't have to be classical. Period. I am the pedant who would be mad about this. Can absolutely be stuff that everyone's heard. Uh, no judgment here. Uh, I don't know jack fucking shit about classical music. <laughs> so this is where I get to be an asshole right back at Camille and say that I have a personal vendetta against the specifically classical period. <laughs> um." Love some good Baroque. Love some good Renaissance stuff. Um, I literally, I saw this question and made like a little list of like, because I'm into classical music. I've performed a lot of it and somewhat classically trained. Um, Renaissance and Baroque stuff. Um, I'm a, I did a ton of chamber singing when I was young. Um, some big highlights. Thomas Tallis, Henry Purcell. If, if I give one, some one shout out for a classical, oh, sorry, a Renaissance anthem. Um, it is Thomas Tompkins's When David Heard That Absalom Was Slain. Um, gorgeous piece of choral music. I love choral music in general. Um, fucking, uh, I play cello, still do. Um, you can't play cello and not love Bach. 
Um, all the cello suites are incredible. I always recommend the Pierre Fournier recordings. I am just smashing through this because, like, I did the prep. I've got it to get on my fingertips. Um, <laughs> the classical period is dead to me. Mozart, fuck that guy. Mendelssohn, fuck him too. <laughs> um, love me some romantic, romantic, romantic era piano. Um, Chopin, fine. I'm more into the more like indulgent stuff. List, list is my guy. Check out the Mephisto Waltz. That's my that's my uh, personal favorite list piece. Um, and then like. As soon as you get to 20th century stuff and contemporary stuff, it just expands massively. Um, I love, I, you've been talking about experimental electro- electronic music, all the early experimental stuff. So I like, I could just go on for hours about this, but like Yanis Zanakis, Edgar Varese and Karlheinz Stockhausen are sort of like a trio of early experimenters who I adore. It very, very strange, not something that I can just expect people to get into, but so be it, fine. If, you, if you're interested in angular, weird electronic sounds and you're not looking for something that's from the 90s, give Edgar Varese a shot. Um, I, we've talked a lot about minimalism inadvertently in this podcast because I think it's just a massive reference point to a lot of modern stuff. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. Steve Reich, Terry Riley, um, Philip Glass, um, other pet. Um, and then like I still listen to stuff that I think would basically be a called classical. Um like one album that's a, definitely my like top 15 of actual albums this year is uh let me pull it up um ok young lee there we go ok young lee and an album called neo yin uh uh sorry i've just said the consonants wrong yeonun um which is yeah just an incredible album of strings and percussion um and yeah i'm constantly finding along with all the experimental experimental electronic stuff stuff that veers towards like art world music so yeah that's a sweep across all the classical music i do and have been listening to um last question is from uh nia again in the email um uh sent it from the ghost divers uh <laughs> email so if anybody is listening to this and is like wow after this i'd really like to go listen to another export audio podcast that's about uh anime uh might i recommend ghost divers they're covering a ghost in the shell standalone complex right and now we just if you can't we can't have a music podcast x ghost in the shell podcast crossover without talking about uh in a universe by origa is the best anime opening of all time and i'm not taking questions on that one <laughs> He asks, what bands and songs do you think of when you think of post-punk? Uh, I mean, like, I always think of, um, uh, I cannot fucking remember that. I always think of Jesus and Mary Chain, and I feel like that's kind of post-post-punk, maybe? Yeah, I can't remember now. I, 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 mm, that's, a, that's a really good shout, because, like, they're certainly in that, like, scene, but they, they're, they're, like, more expansive and weirder than a lot of the trad stuff. That's a, It's a very yeah, good shout. Yeah, I mean, like... I'm a huge Joy Division fan, and I really like Talking Heads as well. But um, if I'm gonna listen to some post punk, I'm gonna go just slightly after like the big post punk boom into like Jesus and Mary Chain, and um, uh, I like Echo and the Bunny Men too. Not quite as much as I like Jesus and Mary Chain, but mm-hmm. and you're also a Cocteau Twins fan, so like the spill oh of, yeah, the Cocteau spill Twins is like my right shit, yeah. Ah, oh, Heaven or Las Vegas is uh, top 
15 album of all time top 20 i don't know i'd have to think about it pretty good album yeah so like i i'm a mix on this one in that like uh that when i think of post-punk i have two distinct eras where like i have been properly like dug into uh, i said properly dug into i love both in different ways that like um uh gang of four is one of my favorite groups of all time um uh, uh damaged goods is a perfect rock track it's like mm. when i think of post-punk i think of the track damaged goods by gang of four like straight up that's the, mm-hmm. the first thing that comes to mind like that tightness and that brightness and that sharpness and that angularity it's just the best stuff like i don't you, you talk about talking heads and there are bands like sonic youth that are also there which are like po- yeah in much more expansively in this space but i don't i'd like when I think about post-punk, I think very much of that, like, motoric tightness and, like, tension and anxiety that, like, I really get out right. of, like, New Order, Joy Division, but really particularly Gang of Four. And then, like, I'm really into the revival. Um, like, I was five in 2001 when Is This It dropped. Um, it was probably the first... Is This It is so good. It's so good. It's um, still so good. It's it just fucking rules. <laughs> But yeah, as in like that was one of the first albums I got handed to by an older sibling was like, okay, if you're actually trying to listen to some good music, I guess you should listen to this. And the thing that happened then was like Britain just got overtaken by it. So we had the wave of like strokes came, but very quickly that was like Franz Ferdinand and um why am I blanking? Interpol and Block Party and bands like that. Where like yeah. this was also the scene that I had an older sister who was like going to all of those gigs like all of the all of her friends were in bands and are still in bands together um making music that was like heavily indebted to the indie wave that arrived just as post-punk revival was like turning into a like a a more sedimented thing but yeah like so what you're saying is your your sister is in arctic monkeys uh, oh fuck (laughs) if i'm allowed to, to to like pull the veil back slightly there is a band called cajun dance party it's a shit name for a band (laughs) <laughs> um, my sister's partner of 11 years was the guitarist and songwriter for Cajun Dance Party. At one point in time, they were the new big thing and they were signed to XL and they were like on like getting features in NME. And the other bands that they were like schoolmates with were uh, also similarly awfully named Bombay Bicycle Club, who you may know for still actually being a band <laughs> um, and being quite successful at that. Um, but this is the thing. They were the, they were like very close school friends passing back and forth like like joy division and talking heads and yola tango and bjork tapes to each other and turning that into the band sounds of like uh like late aughts indie rock so yes my sister Mm -hmm. wasn't in arctic monkeys but you get the vibe yeah (laughs) um but Um, that's that's the little shout out um yeah if if i can just like the one last bit is like um, there was a band called Preoccupations, formerly known as Viet Cong. They changed their name for obvious reasons. Um, their first album is called Viet Cong. It's still their best work, which is unfortunate, but it happens like that sometimes. Um, it's some of the most straightforwardly genre stuff and also the best stuff in post that I've ever heard. 
And the other, like, late post-post-revival is a band called... This is what was the album that I thought I was going to tell us to listen to before I flipped my mind and said we should listen to Arca, is the album Silence Yourself by Savages, which is a four-part female um, punk-slash-post-punk group who just have that sounds good. the best guitar tones ever. Um, I think you'd really like Savages. Go listen to them. Okay. Yeah, I'm pulling them up right now. Um, the other thing that I wanted to shout out... Sh- shout out um was just it's not post-punk but it's like right in the middle of like actual post-punk and the post-punk revival Mm. and i feel like it is heavily indebted to those things even though it is much more much more expansive than any anything like joy division or gang of four would ever do is spiritualized um ladies and gentlemen we are floating in space um just one of the best albums um and i think it is yeah, I think it is much more expansive in a way that a lot of post-punk is not. But I think that you can, like, listen to it and you hear how post-punk becomes this yeah. for a couple of years. This comes out in 1997. Is this it hits in 2001 and they kind of, like, go... It, the whole genre goes in a different direction. Yeah, totally. There's this whole, like... there when, when we talk about the indie rock trajectory away from mainstream rock or away from, like, folk in particular, that, like, post-punk sits at one end of it and that, like, through all sorts of little genre like in like kinks and kinks and diversions like there is definitely a through line between this and all the like big expansive indie rock even the neutral milk hotel stuff like i mm-hmm. keep coming back to like broken social scene and yola tango and arcade fire those like early pitchfork darlings um like again through sonic youth as well but, i haven't like, thought about they don't need to be forever. in the genre to be very much of the lineage <laughs> which very much just like keeps it all tied together for me in oh. quite a neat way yeah i lost internet connection for a little bit so i didn't hear the last thing you said but the blisters will and that's what matters <laughs> um hello oh. Um, where's my phone at? Okay, I guess I'll go find my phone. hello hey um might have to, uh let me look i can't connect to the internet yeah no, you dropped oh, i heard <laughs> i heard i'm trying to find some headphones that i can plug into uh this phone here there yeah, no, I heard, um, well, the listeners will have heard that, and that's the last thing I heard <laughs> before you disappeared. Yeah, it dropped, it reconnected me for, like, 30 seconds, and then I dropped again. Um, yeah, I can't, 
I'm connected again. Hello? Hello. There we go. That's better. Um, well, I should... I've probably got 20 minutes-ish. Maybe a little less. Um, but before I go, I really... I really want to read you this 200 best albums of the 2010s because uh, I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> I'm embraced, ready, far away. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start at number ten. Um, am I gonna start at number ten? I'm gonna start at. I'm gonna start at fifteen. I'm gonna start at fifteen. I think that's the funniest place to start. Mm-hmm. So, fifteen. Jesus. Um, cool. Good album. Any, <laughs> good album. 14. Lord. Melodrama. Uh, kind of overrated, but I, I, I like I melodrama. Think it's got some really good bits. I didn't love it quite as much as everyone, but fine. I'm, I'm not upset. Lord is... Lord is proto Carly Rae Jepsen in that, like, gays on the internet think that she's, like, the best thing that's ever happened, and <laughs> I kind of think that, like, yeah, this is good pop music that is just indebted to a bunch of indie music. 13, Take Care by Drake. Does <laughs> uh, uh, that, like, everyone, has, has everyone just, like, forgot who, like, Marvin Gaye was? Has, like, Curtis Mayfield, um, uh, do people just I not remember Curtis what, Mayfield like, last week. Just, do people just not remember <laughs> what the, like, soul and R&B happened? <sighs> number 12 rihanna anti i this is only interesting because it brings to it reminds me rihanna hasn't put out an album since 2016 she simply doesn't and need like, to <laughs> she does i don't know that she wants to anymore no. i don't think she cares why would she she is better as it, a lingerie and skincare mogul <laughs> 11 this is fucking hilarious it okay Important context: This came. This list came out in October 2019. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Grimes, Art Angels. It's just incorrect. I, it's just not right. No. It's not even the best Grimes album. It's not even a good Grimes album. No. <laughs> Grimes is a producer, a pro- a provocateur, a punk, and yes, a pop star. By her own estimation, pop is music that seeks to hit the pleasure center. Um, yeah, it, that, and Art Angels, Art Angels replete doesn't. with surging dance beats. <laughs> yeah, Art Angels doesn't do that. <laughs> no, she doesn't know how to produce a dance music album, and it shows. It's a badly produced album. It doesn't sound very good. <laughs> she doesn't know how to do the thing she was trying to do. <laughs> Number 10, Channel Orange. This is yeah fine good. <laughs> this is only gonna become funnier in a minute. Um, you know what's gonna happen. Uh, number nine, D'Angelo, Black Messiah. Okay, this should be higher. I mean, honestly, honestly, it's one of the best of the decade for a very good reason, and one of the most like iconic and yeah, good, fine. They got one right at least. Number eight, Robin, Body Talk. I'm here for that. I like Robin. Um, I like Body Talk. I don't know it's the eighth best album of the decade. Yeah, again, like, if you are trying to value pop music properly, it's an impossible task, but like, you know. It is Body Talk better than Black Messiah. (laughs) 
that's the question that I'm asking you. <laughs> Good question. Good question. <laughs> Number seven, an album that is not better than Black Messiah, Modern Vampires of the City by Va- Vampire Weekend. Oh, I It's not the best Vampire Weekend album. It's not the best Vampire Weekend album of the 2010s. <laughs> I, I have to admit... I thought the first Vampire Weekend album was cool and interesting. I thought the second one had some good tracks and was otherwise unremarkable. And I've been completely fucking confused why everyone's interested in them for literally everything after that. Like, I don't... I like... Don't understand it whatsoever. I should be <laughs> I the like perfect the target one. audience for Modern Vampires the City. <laughs> and I just do not understand it whatsoever. I think Contra is like a classic. Yeah, I... I, I, I it, I love Contra. Uh, the two albums after it, they're good. They're okay. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like, um, first album, I, like, again, I was one of those indie kids. I fell in love with that. Contra, I thought was really good. Not quite special because it wasn't quite as, like, remarkable at the time. But, like, I, you, if that's your favorite, by all means, fair enough. It's mm-hmm. still a really good album. Um, yeah. I just, literally everything after that has just been the most, like, I do not want to hear these people singing this music. There is no emotional content to it. Like, Hannah Hunt is meant to be the most, like, swelling, gorgeous, impressive, like, track. And just, like, you could probably play, like, mm, God, I'm, I just literally can think of, like, dozens of artists who have, like, produced more impressive versions of that song. Like, there are three Bill Callahan tracks, three Casper Coombs tracks, four Grizzly Bear tracks, mm-hmm. like four Lucinda Williams mm-hmm. tracks that are just like mm-hmm. that, yep. but yep. better. I yep. d- don't understand. But apparently, don't. apparently, Modern Vampires of the City better than Black Messiah. Yeah, bye. No. <laughs> Number six, I see at the table by Solange. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Good. Yeah. Um, number five. <laughs> The Idler Wheel is wiser than the driver of the screw, and whipping cords will serve you more than ropes will ever do by Fiona Apple. This is not better than a seat at the table. Are you fucking kidding me, Pitchfork? Are you fucking with me right now, Pitchfork? <laughs> Fiona Apple is one that confuses me. I don't... Every, everything you just said about Vampire Weekend, I feel about Fiona Apple. Yeah, I, 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 I hadn't thought about it in those terms. But I'm unsurprised that other people would. I simply haven't listened to it and found it remarkable in any of the ways that I'm supposed to. So I'm just like left completely impassive. The, like, uh, like the, the the worrying thing about Fiona Apple is unlike with Vampire Weekend, where I feel like I know that music so intimately well despite its boringness. Fiona Apple, I'm consistently worried I'm missing something, which is like a less a place that leaves me less confident in my ability to like have a good take. But yeah. I still don't find it as remarkable. Like, fucking Joanna Newsom exists. Chill. <laughs> I'm not even big on Joanna Newsom, and I think Joanna Newsom, I get it with Joanna yeah. Newsom. It's just not to my taste. You know? I don't get it with Fiona Apple. Number four to Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick Lamar. Yes. One of the um, iconic of the decades. Yeah. I think if you're going by, like, Albums that defined the 2010s, I feel like To Pimp a Butterfly is, like, the album that defines this whole decade. Kind of, yeah. Um, in some ways. Again, probably not um, my favorite after several years of living with it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I might have, like, it's fallen in my estimation a little bit, but only because of familiarity and 
being tired of Kendrick's politics, maybe. But I mean, this is again, this um, is the thing where like we're not talking about it as like the is it a nine of nine point three or a nine point seven out of ten? This is like you sit with it and you do like political critique and like how does it fit into the world and the we the ability to have a take like yours is the sort of thing that is just complete anathema to any kind of normal music journalism. So yes, of course. Number three, uh, Beyonce by Beyonce. Not the right Beyonce album to put at number three. There is another Beyonce album that I would easily put as the third best album of the decade. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, oh God. This is one where like I'm unsure because I think that might be the, the album that I love of hers the most. But That's fair. But yeah, yeah. like, nah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, Lemonade happened too. <laughs> Lemonade is exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Because Lemonade and uh, Seat of the Table came out within months of each other. It and it just kind of transformed my whole world. <laughs> um. Anyway, number two. So there are now... Well, number two, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. Uh, I like yeah. Dark Twisted Fantasy a lot. I think in the year of our Lord 2020, putting two Ye albums in the top 100 of the decade or whatever, in the top 15 of the decade, because Yeezus was 15. Yeah. So you've got two Kanye albums in the top uh, 15. Uh, I think you could interrogate some of that a little more. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could... <laughs> like, please, be be s- some sense of self-awareness might be useful to analyzing the sorts of principles and ideas that resulted in you making these decisions. And I think you might find they're kind of junk. Uh, really important yeah. album. Significant album. Like, you put this next to Timber Butterfly and, like... The, the, the way these albums have aged and the way that they're understood in culture, just like, no. <laughs> it, fe- no. it felt like, it felt like Dark Twisted Fantasy was supposed to be the sound of pop music for the next 15 years, and it was kind of the sound of pop music for the next three years. Yeah. You know? Um, and the world happened around it and changed in ways that, like, just, like, made it slightly irrelevant, which is fine. Well, and also... Also, 808s became the sound of the next 15 years. Yeah. The album before it became like the Kanye album that matters is, in some way, even though is, no one liked 808s. Yeah, there certainly isn't <laughs> a problem that, like, are we giving undue respect to Kanye the innovator? Like, if anything, yeah. like, put Yeezus higher and just drop the uh, uh, Dark a Fantasy by 40 places. Like, that's, to me, yeah. the more honest take. Yeah. Um... And number one, um, Frank Ocean Blonde. Uh, it, this is unquestionably true to me, yeah, I think. It's um, just the right answer. It's just the right answer. I do feel like maybe putting two Frank albums in the top ten is like... We could have been more expansive in our taste, perhaps. We could have... <laughs> uh, I do that, like... That, that, that um, outlet famous <laughs> for its expansive and comprehensive understanding and analysis of the uh, pop music sphere. I do like that seven of their top ten albums are by black artists. That is just, like, true of the day. The true thing uh, to the 2010s is that, um, like, ten of the top ten albums should be by artists of color. And, like, um, there should not be any white people on this list. The fact that there is no um, 
Spanish language music in this top 10 kind of shows you everything that you need to know about Pitchfork, you know? I mean, there are so many just like, the complete, like, the complete misunderstanding of electronic music is just like ludicrous. Like, I remember that list. Yes. I remember the highest dance music album being a Jamie XX album. Yes, that's a 25. That's That's a 25. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, uh... So that Jamie XX album does have Young Thug saying, "I'ma ride in that pussy like a stroller." It does. Other have that than line that, out. other than that, I don't. Th- you you could just leave this whole album. Like, I like In Color. Uh, it's mostly just the album where Young Thug says, "Riding the pussy like a stroller." It's an me. important line for other reasons, but that album <laughs> that album is like spiritual and structural violence. That's all I have to say. Oh, oh. Here's something else I'm going to complain about. At 23, we have Casey Musgraves' Golden Hour. This isn't... There are three better Casey Musgraves albums. (laughs) Golden Hour is so overrated. Just because Space Cowboy is the best country song of the 2010s, everybody's like, oh, Golden Hour. Like, no, you just didn't care until she was on pop radio. Shut up. (laughs) (sighs) There's a lot of Del Rey album in the top 20. Um, how do we feel? How do you feel about Joanna Newsom? Uh, have one on me at, at 16. Is that the right Joanna Newsom pick to put at 16? Yeah. Let me just double check release dates on a couple of those records. So like, I have to be upfront that like, I know a number of like absolute Newsom is the best songwriter of the, of the century so far people like mm-hmm. those are people i know in my life yeah um yeah. east is a 2006 album it would be in my like top five to ten of the tw- two of the 2000s have one on me is not my joanna newsome album um it's extraordinary i think it's incredible i think there are there are tracks like in california and good intentions paving company that are like some of the greatest single pieces of music like it's single best song written things that I've heard ever. I still don't love it in the same way as I love Divers, which is probably an objectively worse album, but it's the one that like lives in my heart because I feel it's a bit more like worldly and a bit more talking to things that like really well, like Sapaconican and Leaving the City are tracks about the city of New York and like your relationship to the actual city and you know humans being alienated and all yeah. that fun stuff that like yes the other stuff is about that but it doesn't feel about my version of that so like mm-hmm. i would have divers very high on my albums of the decade list i'm trying to see where i put it i put it yeah i put divers top 15 and i think um have it on me somewhere in my top 100 but like again that's a very personal list and for a personal list yeah. i have divers higher but like I think critically, most people think Have One of Me is the better album. I think most people think Joanna Newsom is exceptional. I think she's more interesting to me than Fiona Apple. But like, like they're, they're, again, I, I don't feel in a position to criticize. That's one of those picks that feels entirely appropriate for a pitchfork list. Like yes. having the most critically acclaimed Joanna Newsom album in the top twenty, perfectly fine. Uh, I'm going to read you one last little thing that I found in this list as I'm just scrolling. Um, and then we're going to do plugs and get out of here. Cause I got to go get Nora from work. Uh, I'm going to go through these real quick. 
Number 50, Grimes, Visions. Number 49, uh, OPN, Replica. Number 48, Anoni, Hopelessness. 47, Emotion by Carly Rae Jepsen. So, that's a really good strike. <laughs> Emotion is not better than Hopelessness. Are you fucking kidding uh, me? No, it, it isn't. <laughs> so, like, Emotion's... It's not. Emotion's really good. Lol. Oh, my God. <laughs> Guess what numbers 14 and 15 on my albums of the decade list are? Is it is it emotion at fifteen, hopelessness at fourteen? <laughs> Try the other way around. <laughs> Damn it! How could you betray me like this? <laughs> Again, emotions are really important. Album, it's really, it's gorgeous. It sounds good. It's gonna keep sounding good forever. It's important to me. I love it a bit. It's not better than Anoni's stuff, but like, I'm not uh, like I've got them at fourteen and fifteen for albums of the decade. They have them at like. 40 come on um yeah visions is the best grimes album and i still can't listen to it now because grimes is who grimes is um if replica is 39 then i feel like that they if you for me r plus seven is the second best album of the decade um (laughs) replica would be in my top 50 uh i think it's not the most remarkable opn album um I know mm-hmm. the critical zeitgeist hit Replica, but I think it's a less extraordinary project than R plus seven. But like, I also fully expect Pitchfork to misunderstand electronic music writ large, and specifically to misunderstand electronic music that has like theoretical or like um, intentionality behind it. Like, I'm fully prepared for them to like have read, oh. It's got samples in it about consumer culture. Oh, I'm sure that's like deep and meaningful. Oh, 39. <laughs> and like have no meaningful engagement with how it like produced culture around it. Because like Replica is an album that generated subcultures. Replica is an album that changed the trajectory of, of music around it. Um, yeah. R plus seven might not be, but I also think it's a more like significant project, whatever. Um, that's a deeply personal one to me that like, fine if you're gonna respect opn do it properly please um the 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 deeply personal one to me as i'm continuing to scroll is that future ds2 is at um 65 and uh young thug uh barter six is at 54 um you know that pitchfork doesn't know what rap music is because they didn't put Future and Thug in the top 10, and also they chose the wrong Future and Thug albums. Yeah. <laughs> Fair uh, oh, God. Well, I mean, just to be clear, what if for you are the right Future and Thug albums? Um, What are the right... The right Future... I might not know the right Future. Um, I might not be like as deep on Future as I should be to like make that call. I really like... Uh, Hendrix? Well, that's definitely not the right choice. Uh, if you were going to pick a Thug album, it's 1017, which is the album right before um, uh-huh. Barter 6. Barter 6 is like him trying to appeal to uh, like mo- more people. <laughs> that. 1017 is him trying to appeal to his fans of the first three tapes. Um, I just think that's the right choice there. Uh, future, I'd have to think about it. Dirty Sprite 2 is like 
the popular one for sure. I understand why you choose that, but like there are earlier future tapes that are more influential. I just went to the future page on Wikipedia, which did not take me to future the rapper. <laughs> Um, I can't remember what I listened to and got on with. Because um, I think I probably got on at DS2 again, because that was the one that got acclaimed. I, I definitely, I came in and with DS2, but that's because of my age more than anything. Yeah. Um, I listened to Purple Rain, like, remember being like, eh. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to remember. I mean, Beast Mode is, I think, more influential. Yeah. And that came out the same year as DS2. Um, Might be Beast Mode that I went back to. I'm trying to remember. I don't, actually. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. I know it was the new Anyway. I have to go get Nora from work. Uh, I'm going to be late. Go do it. Where can people find you online? You can find me at Regression with three S's on Twitter. And all the stuff should be linked there. Or just come past to me. I, I like the notifications. You can find me on Twitter at Atunnel underscore coffee. Don't pester me. I hate the notifications. The duality of man. <laughs> we will be back in... when we're back. You're going to be unable to record because of the holidays. So we'll be back when we're back. But Arca and Aaliyah, like we planned on. I will simply listen to the albums this time because I won't have depression anymore. Or I'll learn to listen to music while depressed. We'll figure it out. Who knows? <laughs> we'll gain life skills in the brain. Bye, everybody. See you.